Thank the Lord for the spring showers. I think it's spring. It may be different tomorrow, but it's uh, whatever it is. We're in Louisiana. We sent Brother Joe a picture of our plum tree in bloom. He said, thank you. It was one degrees here. Six inches of snow and expecting 12 more inches. So thank God I'm in Louisiana. Amen. Continue to pray for Eric. He's looking like he's going to have another surgery on his eye. The sight is coming and going. But thank God he's able to see today. Amen. We're going to continue to pray and believe, Eric. Amen. Does anybody know anything about suffering? It's kind of one of those subjects. It's almost like humility. Nobody wants to admit they're humble for fear they're proud that they're humble. We, we don't really know how to embrace this subject of suffering because we want healing. We don't know if we should embrace suffering for its benefits as though there are benefits because we don't literally like suffering. But I'm glad for one thing for sure, whether it's a good day or a bad day, whether it's a pain-free day or a not-so-pain-free day, whether it's a day when my emotions are wrapped around joy and sunshine or it's a day when the clouds are hanging low, God is with us. God is with us. And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the thing about our Savior, He has already been there. He has already tasted everything that we will taste in this life. He's been there. When you go to him in prayer, you can expect that he knows what you're talking about. I was a little amused at the views from The View. I don't watch the program, but it made the news, so I looked it up on the computer and the lady said that our vice president has a mental illness, the host of the program. She said, because he said Jesus talks to him. Now, she claimed to be a Christian, but her God didn't talk to her. In other words, she just wants a God she can tell what to do Program him, and he obeys, and don't ever tell me what to do. I'm glad I have a real God. I didn't make him. 
I didn't create him. I didn't design him. But he made me. And he has every right in the world to tell me anything he needs to tell me. Amen. And if you call that mental illness world, I'm real bad off. But I got heaven in my view. <laughs> and I plan on getting there. And he knows the way. And I sure want to go with the one that knows the way. Amen. Let's talk about our Lord Jesus today. The one that is with us. Hebrews chapter 4, let's begin there, verse 14. Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast the profession, our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. A little girl was playing outside and uh, it was getting near time for her to come in the house and her mother began to wonder where she was. She wasn't accustomed to being late. And so she, the mother finally found her and she said, Honey, I was worried about you. What, what was the problem? She said, Well, Janie's bike broke, had a little accident, and she needed me. And her mother looked at her and said, Well, honey, you don't know anything about fixing bicycles. She said, No, but I cried with her. <laughs> I had to stop and help her cry. It was uh, that feeling that I can help by just feeling your pain. I can help by just putting my arm around you and say, I understand. We have a God that manifested himself in flesh and came down to where mankind was so that he could embrace our pain and he could weep with us and he could carry our load with us. A subject that we generally talk about at Christmas time, Emmanuel, God with us. When the promise came to Joseph and to Mary that they were going to have a son and that son was going to be called Emmanuel, which was God with us. Jesus promised everything that we need. Jesus fulfilled every promise in those things we need. Philippians 2 and 8 spoke of him and said, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. 2 and 8. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Ever wondered 
how you could share in someone else's pain. Romans 12 and 15 said, Rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. That helps. It's always right to be in the right frame of mind with the person you're with. It's not a good thing to be very joyful when it's a sad time in somebody's life. It's, I know sometimes there is a need to cheer, but there's also a time to weep with them. There's a time to comfort them. We look at this thing called human suffering. I, uh, I've lived long enough that uh, there are probably not many days that something doesn't hurt. <laughs> so my answer to people, they say, how are you doing? I said, well, what doesn't hurt feels good. <laughs> and what's not weak is strong. Amen, and I'm still getting up. It's not a perfect situation, but God's with us. Amen. Is it a stretch for you to think that perhaps suffering could be a part of the plan of God? That it could be an instrument for positive change in our life? When we put that suffering in, in God's hands, what if there are some good things, some basic, wholesome character qualities that can be acquired through suffering? What if we never suffered and we would never be the kind of people that we should be. Oh, I'm not, I'm not rolling the red carpet out and say, bring it on. <laughs> but when we have that situation in our life, when we find ourselves dealing with something that won't go away, when we're the one that every service is lifting our hand for that special unspoken request that is still there. It's like the Apostle Paul that prayed three times for the infirmity, the affliction, or the thorn in his flesh to be taken away, and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. What if God would have removed that on his first prayer? What would we know about the sufficiency of God's grace? How often do we turn to the words of the Apostle Paul? He said it wouldn't go away, but God did promise that His grace is sufficient. Sometimes we might think, well, why is Jesus doing this to me? Why is He letting this happen? Surely He shouldn't be and 
he could prevent it. And, and the list goes on of the things we might say. The way we really feel sometimes. Maybe never makes it to our lips. It's just a wonder in our mind. What about him? Some people do not understand God. They don't understand the incarnation. They don't understand the fact that, that God in his unique and wonderful plan called for a son. That son was the fullness of God that the Holy Spirit moved into that flesh and came and tasted all of the suffering in life. People look and say, well, God's up there and uh, he's in his big house and we're down here dealing with all this stuff. He dealt with it through the flesh called the son. He dealt with all that pain and he dealt with all that suffering. Notice Hebrews 5 and 8 said, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Makes me want to say, whoa. If Jesus, the Son of God, suffered things and learned obedience through the things he suffered, can I ask God to circumvent that in my life and exempt suffering out of my life when there's an opportunity for me to learn obedience? Verse 9 said, And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So if it was necessary for Jesus to learn obedience through suffering, being perfected or being brought to maturity, then we can also be assured it's necessary for us today. We can read a lot of books. We can attend a lot of educational classes. But until we experience it, until we taste of it, until we feel it, we probably will not learn nearly as well. Endured the cross, despising the shame, and put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, bearing the sins of many. You ever given thought to the suffering that Jesus did for you personally? We think about it, we I think perhaps the, the best position would be to say unworthy. That the sinless Lamb of God would suffer to the extent that He did for me. 
I've heard it said more than once, if you were the only person in the world that needed the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he would have done it just for you. Just for me. It's said that the Jewish historian Josephus listed 83 high priests that lived and through the biblical times. But Jesus is the only one that Scripture ever gave the title to as the great high priest. Find that in Hebrew 4 and 14. A priest was one that would represent the people to God. He was one that must have come from among the people in order to represent the people to God. He was one that had to be one with the people and like the people in order that he might represent them to God. The scripture said there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. But Jesus was not only human. He is also God. There's a mystery here. 1 Timothy 3 and 16 said, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. We embrace that. The mystery here does not involve the plurality of persons in God, but it's about how that God could add humanity to his existence of a deity. You see, he was God, he was man, he was human, he was divine. He was not only a high priest, but he was the great high priest. He was the final in that order. He was the one that Hebrews says was able to offer that final sacrifice and sit down. No priest had ever sat down prior to that because there was going to be another one behind him. But when Jesus came, it was a completed work, and he sat down. The Old Testament priests, beginning with Aaron, had to represent the people, but before he could represent the people to God, he first had to offer a sacrifice for his own cleansing, in order to offer a sacrifice for the people's sins. When Jesus came, he had no such problem. You see, he came the perfect, sinless offering. He didn't have to go in and offer anything to cover his sin because he had not sinned. You say, well, he did that because he was so good. He, he had, it was impossible for him to sin. He could never have sinned. Wrong. You see, he could have sinned. He didn't sin. 
You say, well, he had some kind of supernatural body. No, he had a body just like the one you and I have. He came into the world just like any one of us came into the world. Mary, the Virgin Mary, conceived of the Holy Ghost, this Son of God. He grew in her womb for nine months and she gave birth to him. And he was just as much flesh with just as much ability to sin as anyone else. The scripture said, yet he did no sin. And so he was the perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18 said, Insomuch that as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Thank God. When you're having your most difficult, struggling moment, understand, He's been there. He understands where you are. You can talk to him. You can ask him for help. You can lean upon him for help because he has been there. There have been many varied views concerning Christ's person, his life, his flesh. Some said that he had some kind of unique flesh and some unique blood and it's all false because he was human as you and I are today. The scripture said he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh which gave him every authority in his sinlessness to be the high priest for you and I that he might represent us to God and give us the freedom that we can obtain through him. So the message, the Messiah's identification with human beings is complete. He was made like us, the scripture said, in all things. Hebrews 2 and 17, as we read, he is a merciful and a faithful high priest. Unlike the law of Moses, the new covenant offers a high priest who unites God and man in one. And Jesus identifies completely with the human race in suffering and experiencing temptation. He is able to aid those who are tempted. 
it's so comforting to know Jesus thoroughly identifies with humanity. The Hebrew scriptures speak about the Messiah's deity and his humanity. In Psalms 45, 6 through 7, Thy throne, O God, is forever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. When we read that text from the Old Testament, we will find it also quoted in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. He says in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. The psalmist prophetically spoke of a day. The writer of Hebrews was reflecting on the life of Jesus Christ. We see the fulfillment of Scripture. We see that here he's referring to the Son. He's talking about the Son's deity, thy God, your God. He's talking about someone that's anointed above his fellows, or as he says in the New Testament in verse 9, your companions. He's not referring to a comparison to the angels here, but he's talking about there is the God-man. There's deity and there's flesh. You've been anointed by your God. You have been chosen and placed by your God. You have been placed in that position as the son to accomplish a work that is superior to anything that angels could do. They worship you. But here you are being a sacrifice and being an example and being a offering for your companions, that is, those of flesh. Have you ever had difficulty trying to explain the God-man concept of Jesus Christ? He's God, yet he's flesh. It's not two, he's one. When Thomas, doubting Thomas, we refer to him as. When Jesus had appeared after the resurrection, he, Thomas was not present, never good to miss church. And he began to say, well, I, I, I won't believe it till I thrust my hand in his side. and I, I, I just got to touch him. I got to see him for myself. And... He makes it to church the next time, and there's Jesus. And he says, Thomas, behold my hands, my side. You said you needed this. I'm offering it to you. And Thomas looks at him, and he, he reaches back into his Jewish heritage, something that he had grown up knowing and quoting all his life called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And when he looks at Jesus 
And he sees here the risen Lord. His exclamation was, my Lord and my God. It's all in him. Thomas said, I see it. I see it. It's real. You're everything. You say, well, did did Thomas get it wrong? Did Jesus rebuke him? You say, well, did Thomas get it wrong in calling Jesus his Lord and Yahweh all in one? Did any of the other disciples rebuke him? No, he got it right. He was declaring the Shema in a New Testament form when he said, my Lord and my God. When Jesus was about to be born into the world, the angel came and told Mary and Joseph, said, you're going to have a son and you shall call his name Jesus because he shall save his people from their sin. He not only will be called Jesus, but he will be called Emmanuel. Matthew 1, 20 and 21, Joseph, the son of David, do not be afraid to take unto you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It is significant to note that Messiah was to be called Jesus And that name means Jehovah Savior. Now, if you go back in the Old Testament, you find that God is a very jealous God. He has no peer. He doesn't want anybody. If you'll find there was one thing that he was certainly against and throughout the Scripture is he didn't want any God in your life besides him. Matter of fact, he said, Isaiah 43, Isaiah 45 and 21, Hosea, he said, I alone am Savior. Not another. It was not a position that he would share with anyone. But he said, I alone am Savior. I'm talking about that word from that Old Testament Deity referred to as Jehovah or Yahweh. Now here is the promise of a son coming into the world that would be the Savior. Now is God sending a substitute? Is God going to have somebody alongside of him? No. He came himself. It's called the Incarnation. He came as a babe in a manger. Matter of fact, 123 said, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Why the two names? In Old Testament and all throughout Scripture, you'll find that names were not just mere labels. 
They didn't get the baby book out and said, oh, I think this would be a good name. But they had significance. They meant something. Especially when they were given by God. They either were describing an essential identity or they were describing characteristics of a person, a place or a thing. In Joseph's dream and in Isaiah's prophecy, the identity of Jesus as Jehovah, God himself, was placed there. Jesus, Jehovah, salvation, all of these are one and the same. 1 Peter 2 and 21, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. I don't know. Perhaps, you know, when I was 20, I knew the answer. Maybe at 30, I knew the answer. Say, well, Pastor, what? I'm, I'm suffering. I can't seem to get past this. Would you pray for me that it goes away? And, and of course, I do that. I pray that it goes away. And uh, that there's just no way that I can figure out how to tell somebody this is your suffering. Brother Carol, Brother Bill, y'all been at this longer than I have? Is there any way we can tell someone suffering this is what you're supposed to do? Nobody wants to hear that. I don't even want to be the one to tell somebody that. All I can figure out is that if God doesn't take it away, then he must want me to have it. And if he wants me to have it, he wants me to learn something from it. And he said, the servant is no greater than the master. So if Jesus suffered, then we too will suffer. I'm not saying we're going to suffer as much as he did. And I do have a consolation. He said, with every temptation, he will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Sometimes it's grin and bear it. Anybody been there? Yeah. Brother Bill sat down in the chair and his customary words to us this morning when we went to pray for him was an overhaul. Yeah, anybody felt like that? I'll just, just go ahead, God, give me an overhaul. Yeah. 
an excerpt from Brother Benny DeMerchant's book tells the story of a, his mission work in a faithful lady in a jungle church without a pastor. Her name was Oswald Dina. Brother DeMerchant's ministry was flying the Amazon, preaching the gospel up and down that river, going in places that were very remote on his float plane and preaching to a gathering and then flying out and going on to another place. And so his ministry was. In this particular place, it seemed like the end of the world, he recalls, as his Cessna float plane landed and he ministered. It was a small work. It didn't seem to have any future. didn't have any trained workers. And then out of that congregation came Oswald Dina. The baptism of the Holy Ghost had changed her life. She bubbled with enthusiasm. Her unsaved husband and her older daughters were not interested in following her new faith. The local priest warned Oswaldina what could happen when she left his church. Oswaldina traveled the river in a small boat propelled by a shaft-driven inboard diesel marine engine. One day she bent over to pick up something from the floor and her long hair got caught in the shaft and it scalped her. It pulled everything off from above her eyebrow to the nap of her neck. The doctors tried to do skin grafts that never took. So from that day forward, she wore a towel on her head to protect her from the sun and you can only imagine from what else. But she was always smiling. She was always happy. She would carry an umbrella in one hand and trudge over a mile to the church. Rain, wading through mud holes, shepherding her small children along with her and grandchildren, going through a town that the streets were so torn up vehicles couldn't drive by anymore. She wanted to be on time for prayer service. Brother DeMerchant was discouraged with the whole situation. A trespasser had erected a fence on the men, church property. A thief had stole his aviation fuel. He had to mix auto fuel with aviation fuel just to get home. He thought, no worker to continue the work here. I can't take any more of this. I will not come back to this distant town. But the next morning, Brother DeMerchant heard Oswaldina singing praises to God as she washed her clothes in the muddy river. She looked over at the missionary and she said, We'll pray for you to have a safe trip back to Manus and that you'll get fuel so that you can come and visit us and preach. It was at that moment he thought, Here I am, a big healthy American, and Oswaldina is frail, sick, but working diligently and still singing. So within two weeks of his departure from that jungle church, there were a set of unusual events that occurred that he was able to get a donation of enough fuel to enable him to go back to Oswaldina's town and church 
for a number of years. It was many years later, hundreds of miles down the river, a well-dressed woman walked up to Benny DeMerchant after he had preached, and she said, I'm Oswald Dina's daughter. God found me and my husband, and we're in church. Oswald Dina, who you might forget the frail little grandmother, her scalped head, her towel wrapped around it, slogging through mud, the three grandchildren, just so she wouldn't be late for prayer meeting. What things prayer has wrought. The old song said, it will be worth it all when I see Jesus. One smile from his dear face, all my troubles will erase. The Apostle Paul said it in Romans chapter 8. If you stand together, last slide, Sister Claudia, then. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon, I use that word in Minnesota and I got chided for it and I, I was just figured out that the Bible was written for Southerners. I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed to us. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's difficult. No, I don't have answers. We're saying, when will it end, pastor? I don't know. Is it about over? Is it going to get better? I don't know. But it will be worth it all. And if, and if the sickness, the pain, the suffering, the struggle financially, the domestic situation in the home, if it develops me to be like Christ, it will be worth it all. And then to stand in his presence, no, to bow before him. At the culmination of it all, it will be worth it all. The apostle said, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It will be worth it all. I could almost promise you there will be suffering. 
I can also promise you he'll help you. He'll be with you. And he said he won't put more on you than you can bear. But he said he will with temptation make a way of escape. Don't throw in the towel. Just grab a hold of him. Just get a hold to the hem of his garment and just hold on a little bit longer. He's going to get you through it. I said he's going to get you through it. Let's pray together right now. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, today that you're working in us, God. Even though we don't understand even though we wish, wish all this would change in a moment, God. I pray, Lord, rather that we find it as the Apostle Paul's. He said, your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. So I thank you, Lord Jesus, today that you suffered and when I suffer, I can know you've already been there. You know what it's like. You were victorious. And you'll help me. And you'll help us to be victorious as well. I thank you for that, Jesus. I thank you for that. Would you just take somebody by the hand right now or lay your hand on their shoulder? Pray for them right now. Let the Spirit of the Lord minister. In the name of the Lord, Father, I pray your touch today. Move through this house today. You see my brother. You see my sister. You see where they are in this journey, Lord. As a fellow, as a fellow human, I'd, I'd want to extract them from that situation, God. And I'd, I'd want to rescue them from their pain. And I'd want to take them out of their suffering, but... You're greater than I, and you know more than I know. So, Lord, we pray for your grace today. We pray for your wisdom in our lives, God. We pray for your guidance in our lives today. And you know exactly what we need to make it through. So, guide us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Could we give him thanks together right now? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, today. Thank you, Jesus, today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, today. Praise God. God bless you.